the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. That's Bud Elliott. That's Danny Cannell. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at YouTube.com slash Cover 3 and everywhere you get your podcasts on demand. Thanks for hanging out. Smash that subscribe. Smash that like and come and join us in the chat, a.k.a. the Cover 3 tailgate. Lots to get to here on a Wednesday, including, as always, our big game breakdowns. And we got a lot of implications heading into conference championship Saturday. Count them one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight teams still with the path to end up in the college football playoff as we head into championship weekend. So what do we think are going to be the um, the places where the matchups are decided? What are going to be the X factors? What are we paying attention to? Uh, we'll get into all that and more. Before uh, we do our championship week breakdowns, want to start with uh, catching up on the coaching carousel, catching up on the latest from the transfer portal. And DK, uh, I'll sort of let you steer it in which hire or reported higher you want to go now we've got Syracuse officially naming Georgia defensive backs coach Fran Brown as its next head coach the replacement for Dino Babers we've got reports that uh, Sean Lewis you know uh, the former Kent State head coach most recently Colorado offensive coordinator will be the pick for San Diego State we've got a Bobby Petrino rumor report that it could happen at Arkansas uh, what what stands out to you from the last 24 hours or so on the coaching carousel? Um, there's a bunch, man. It's been uh, it's been pretty wild. This thing is moving pretty quickly. Uh, the Sean Lewis to San Diego State, I think, is very interesting because if you think about what Brady Hoke was at San Diego State, it was run the football, play good defense, like smash mouth, old school. And then you got Sean Lewis everywhere he's been, including Colorado. It's it's up tempo. It's spread him out. Let's throw it. Let's have some fun. Like I, so it's totally different direction. But I love it. Like I think it's a great hire. Uh, I know Bud had some thoughts on that that I would tend to agree with. Like, how many times do you see a coach get demoted during the season and then parlay it into another head coaching job? Like, I think that's like really what you see as far as people that know football are like, oh, it wasn't his fault. Like that wasn't Sean Lewis's fault. So good for him for getting it. Um, 
Also, the other one too, Seth Luttrell to um, mm, Oklahoma. Oklahoma as their offensive coordinator, I think makes a ton of sense. And I think you should not see much drop off there. That was the other one that kind of caught my eye. The was he an analyst somewhere this year at Oklahoma? Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. So he was already there. He was getting paid still from North Texas. Uh, so it's pretty smooth transition. He's already got familiarity with the the players, the recruiting, like all of it. So he'll just step in. It it really is like a seamless transition. That's good for Jackson Arnold, I would imagine, as, yeah. as they sort of enter the next era. Um, but what stands out to to you over this last little bit? I mean, I I do take some signal from guys who do well at programs that it's basically just impossible to do well. Kent State has been the worst program in the country for almost the entire like existence of the sport of football. And Sean Lewis took them to, like multiple bowl games. He beat eight bowl teams when he was at Kent State. Like that's that sounds okay, whatever. Like they're in the MAC guys. Like that's a basically an impossible job to win at. And he he won there. I think he knows what he's doing. I think a lot of other coaches respect him. I thought Dion was totally going to try to screw him when they brought in Shermer as an analyst late in the summer. Like I had guys reach out to me like, oh, Dion's going to screw him over. He's going to be the fall guy for this because Shermer doesn't run an offense anywhere close to what Sean Lewis runs. It didn't really make any sense to bring in an analyst that like doesn't agree with what you're trying to run. Um, so yeah, I, I'm I'm happy for Sean Lewis that he got out of there. I, I tweeted he'd get away from the BS at the time of the demotion, and and he did. What what do we think is next before we get to some of the portal stuff? What do we what do you have your eyes on in terms of you know we we still have Indiana open you know we still have uh, oh Oregon State that was the other one sorry top mm-hmm. of mind Oregon State went ahead and went internal promotion is that makes sense is that the way to go uh, that will be Bray right right yep. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Trent Bray so Trent Bray was the defensive coordinator for Oregon State um, he gets you know elevated he's now the the full time head coach. Set so thumbs up makes sense. Any any uh, any thoughts on that? Now that the Beavers have their their next full time head coach, I th- I think it makes sense in this in the sense that considering all the change that's coming to Oregon State and the uncertainty about the future, keeping some sort of continuity in that building is probably a good thing. With Jonathan Smith leaving, because I I mean I'm sure a lot of Jonathan Smith's assistants outside of Bray will be going, but we'll see if Bray can keep any. There's a lot of buzz about guys hitting the portal, although I think Damian Martinez said yesterday that he's going to be sticking around, which is good. But it's just I, I think with so much uncertainty, it'd be a tough time to really go into an open coaching search. It's probably best to promote somebody within that understands what's going on there. Yeah, it looks like what we also have the scheduling agreement has been finalized between Oregon State, uh, Washington State, and those teams in the Mountain West. So it's like a Notre Dame ACC situation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I guess they'll be taking all of their quarterbacks from the Mountain West as well. Don't I mean? Don't I? I like it as well. Don't you? I mean, it's a safe, like probably budget friendly hire that is worth taking this risk to see if it works. And if not, you can get off it pretty quickly. Yeah, it's tough to sell in the marketplace to good candidates, mm-hmm. right? So. You know, that's there's just a, a reality. It's not a knock on him. It's just a reality right. of the situation. And he might turn it into the, you know, he might be the next Jonathan Smith. You know, you know, sure. you know he's, you know. he's also, yeah, he played there just like Jonathan Smith did. So, um, <clears throat> so again, Trent Bray, that's another power five job. So, yeah, Indiana still open. Indiana, Indiana, Indiana. Don't worry, Indiana fans. I know your internet's working. I'm sorry I forgot you that one show on Saturday <laughs> night, right? Um, 
Well, what are we looking for as the next big domino? Uh, Indiana, by the way, um, uh, Zach at the Indy Star reported that they looks like they're going to have about three million in NIL, which is um, that is like a little bit more than some of the bottom half of the ACC teams have. Mm-hmm. Okay, so j- just to kind of put it in perspective, if that's a bump from where they were at, which is I assume it is because it's being reported in a positive manner, then I, I do think that. Indiana was pretty far behind in NIL. Shout out to Cubes. Liquidate your Mavericks ownership and then just start pumping into NIL at Indiana. That's all you could ask for. Look at that. So I'm saying Cuban gets three and a half billion for the Mavs and he puts like what one percent of that into Indiana's NIL operations. Says, Here you go, boys. Let's get it. Changes their world. Yeah. (laughs) Like totally flips everything upside down. Um, okay, so Pivoting on to the latest transfer portal buzz, we've got uh, a lot in terms of the quarterback situation. Tyler Van Dyke announces he will be entering the transfer portal. Um, Will Howard (laughs) from Kansas State announces he will be entering the transfer portal. EJ Warner uh, will be leaving Temple. And as we are here talking right now, uh, reports popping up that KJ Jefferson uh, could be hitting the transfer portal as well. Uh, one of the bud what as we will be having some special portal focused shows once the portal opens we want to see you know we want to see what the full landscape looks like uh before we really start nailing it down but er, in this early stage of the process again only graduate transfers allowed to officially enter the portal right now what's uh what what's got your eye in terms of some of these moving pieces at the quarterback position so i Really, you have to start at the top uh, of a guy who a lot of schools were wondering, would he portal? And, and that was Michael Pratt. And like the, mm. in texting around with coaches yesterday, the feeling that they get is that he's likely to go pro. I'm not reporting that. I'm just letting you know like what other personnel guys who are they're, they're preparing their board for guys who might jump in, might not. Like they think they think Pratt is probably going to go pro. I think Pratt would have been the top guy in the portal at quarterback had he stayed. So that sort of knocks down the top level of this. Uh, you have Howard from Kansas State jumping in. That makes a lot of sense because they have Avery Johnson there who will be already got playing time as a freshman. It's hard to hold on to two really good quarterbacks, both from like a playing time perspective and from an NIL perspective, right? I mean, if you wanted to hold on to both those guys, you're having to devote a huge percentage of your NIL to just two players, both who play the same position and really can't play at the same time. So uh, that makes sense for him to jump. I think he'll be uh, fairly coveted out there. Tyler Van Dyke from Miami, when healthy and when in a system where they kind of scheme it up for him, he's a guy who I think people still have belief in because he can throw strikes and he does have a good arm. He just doesn't always throw it to the right guy. So um, can you get him back in a system like Lashley's staff, who, who's now at SMU, did a great job of them. I think they understood what he was and importantly what he was not, and they worked around it, and that's, that's important. Uh, EJ Warner at Temple is a guy who I think will probably end up in the Power Five. He's been – reported that likely to go in i think you can't go in officially if you're not a grad transfer and I, I can't believe he'd be a grad transfer after just you know three semesters but um it's a genius yeah that kurt warner grocery bag and you know bootstraps energy and and the, the the last one and and the chat's already all over this right uh but it there's a whole lot of people out there who think riley leonard's going to notre dame again like we have to kind of tow a weird line. I'm not reporting that Riley Leonard's going to Notre Dame. I don't know that he's going to Notre Dame. He's not even in the portal yet. I will tell you there's a lot of people who work in college football, like not message boarders, who think that is going to happen. If you can't so, beat him, join him. Yeah. Does that uh, – so if you're if you're Notre Dame, 
And let's say the number is, say it's a million bucks. I mean, I saw Cam Ward had $5 million offers, right? You know, top tier quarterback. And you just came off Sam Hartman, who had way more success at Wake than Riley Leonard did at Duke. Like, Riley Leonard, I, like, I love the kid. He's awesome. But he hasn't been the best passer. He's been an athlete. He's coming off a nasty, you know, couple of injuries. Are you rushing to the table if you're a donor to get Riley Leonard? I think it's just the price of poker, man. If you need a quarterback, you need a quarterback. Notre Dame uh, will have a roster that they'll expect to compete for a spot in the 12-team playoff. You're going to need a QB to do that. I, don't they open at Texas a and I, I, I kind of doubt anybody on their roster is a player who right now um, they have confidence in, in you know, going down to College Station and, and winning there. So you probably need somebody. But I agree with you. Like Riley Leonard has been a much better runner than he has been a thrower. Isn't his sell the tools? Yeah, yeah upside. Yeah, upside tools, projection. You know that that's what has everybody all hot and bothered because, as you mentioned, DK, the, st- the statistical profile. It's not like, oh, wow, this is one of the top quarterbacks in all of college football. But, you know, let's think about, you know, where the rest of that Notre Dame offense is, what that identity is. Having somebody that can scoot a little bit, I mean, that could work really well behind a good offensive line with a really good run game and, you know, be able to make some, make some throws uh, on the go. I, I could see Riley Leonard working out better than at a, a place where they're going to go ask him to throw the ball 45 times a game and, you know, just like drop back and sling it all over the yard. That it could be a good fit for Riley. And I would understand. He also has elite sack avoidance numbers. And yeah, like, it, like the analytics guys will tell you that sack avoidance is actually a quarterback skill that is transferable. Like mm-hmm. it transfers even if you, it stays with you even if you transfer to another school. And it really stays with you even in the NFL. So, like, if you look at this, it like take a look at, at Florida this year, right? Richardson, when he was at UF, sack avoidance off the charts. It continued when he was with the Colts. I know he got hurt on a run play, but whatever. Uh, you know, like Florida's sack numbers this year skyrocketed. Was the O line that much worse, or was Graham Merce just poor at sack avoidance? It, it, that seems to be a quarterback skill. So, like Riley Leonard keeping plays alive with what I think should be an improved Notre Dame receiving core next year. I think I might be buying in. Like they didn't stay healthy this year, but I'm. I'm we'll have a new wide receiver coach. Yeah, they are. Yesterday, yeah. I'm surprised Stucky didn't work out there, man. I I, I thought he was going to. I, I was wrong on that. Um, uh, Robbie in the tailgate says, where does a potential Malik Murphy fit into all this? Well, he's I, not in yet, right? But yeah. No, he can't, right? My, yeah. Miami? Is he definitely Why like... Why would you go is, to Miami if you're a quarterback? <laughs> Why? Justin Herbert was drafted high. I don't know. No, I don't. You know, strike that from the record. Anywhere he wants to go is a good place to go. Oh, you're going to give him the C plus? I'll tell you what. It could be a great. No, spirit. not that. Just listen, man. You know what? Maybe he goes there and he's the dude that fits. Maybe he's the guy that finally is the guy that breaks through. Because you're right, Danny. Justin Herbert did have a good career at Oregon. It just could have been better. Right. <laughs> it should have. I mean, you could argue it should have been better. Do you think Ohio State's in the market for a quarterback? Yes. Yes. Because yes. I saw I saw Malik. I don't have any. I don't know if I just saw it like rando. I don't think it was anything valid. But I saw you know Ohio State would kick tires on Malik Murphy too. Yeah, I I don't think Ohio State's just going to be desperately looking for a QB. But I think they're going to be if if they can lure a top QB. I think they're a hundred percent going to be in the market because like Kyle McCord is not C.J. Stroud or Justin Fields or you know Dwayne Haskins, but he's not 
entirely, you know, he's not bad. He's just not in what I would consider the typical Ohio State QB. So if they can get somebody like a Malik Murphy who they feel can maybe bring a little more mobility to the offense at that position, I think they'll be into it. Would you Unless one of the young guys takes right. a big step. Like that's kind of the, mm-hmm. the unknown. Is, is what 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 can Lincoln Kine holes or or Brown like if they stay healthy, can they take a bigger step? Um Kim Ward not officially in yet, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, we're already seeing reports that he's got multiple teams offer him a million. Uh, Kim Ward in a huge freeze offense what? to me would be pretty interesting. Yeah. So would Malik Murphy. Yeah. Um, it wouldn't shock me if Cam Ward stays in the Pacific Northwest. Oh, so you think he's going to maybe go to the other side of the apple? Uh, I was thinking maybe a little more side of the Civil War. Oh, oh interesting. Where does DJU go? Uh, I don't know. Did you say DJU? Uh, yeah. Oh, not Mateo Uyunglele. He's on the move again? I think so. He's going to be a grad, he could, right? He could be a grad, yeah. I mean, I, I'm, he's not in the portal yet. Like, he, he can be a, a a grad, and he looked a lot better this year than he did when he was at Clemson. Um, that would be an interesting one. You saw Dabo offered an offensive lineman in the portal? I did! I yes. was like, Dabo, all right! Dabo. You know what? Sometimes you got to take some losses for people to talk some sense into you. <laughs> I look, we we dragged Dabo for so, some of this position. So yeah, I'm glad that we get to celebrate Dabo Sweeney. He found himself a 6'6", 330 pound offensive lineman from the same place where Kyle Morlock was at shorter college. Mm-hmm. You know, so he went back in there. So yeah, congratulations, Dabo. <laughs> we are using offensive line was one of the positions where we said, hey, if you just picked up an extra offensive lineman or two in the portal, mm-hmm. I'd have been able to help you out. So congratulations, Dabo Sweeney and the Clemson Tigers. You are in the portal era. And if he only signs three or four guys, that is like Clemson fans should be celebrating, saying this is incredible news, step in the right direction. Because I do think once he gets a taste of it, I think he's going to see that, you know, it's not so sour after all. Like it's pretty, it can, it can be pretty sweet. What about Dylan Gabriel? We, we, we think Mississippi State with him? I mean, it makes the most sense, don't you think? Like, if you're Jeff Lebby and you've kind of got to flip that offense a bit, bringing in somebody who's obviously very familiar with it and is a higher ce- like high flourish guy, not really the highest ceiling, but yeah. Because like, I don't think he's an NFL guy, but I don't know. I, I could be wrong. He's an NFL camp guy who's going to get a chance for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I agree with you as far as his long-term potential. I don't think he's an NFL quarterback. I mean, if you go I mean, to an SEC team as a transfer, you can probably get close to a million. Which mm-hmm. is definitely more than he's making his first probably two years, maybe three years in the yeah. NFL. So why not, why not get a payday? Um, what about KJ Jefferson? Uh, the the TCU? right scheme, yeah. Nebraska? Re- reunite with uh, Kendall Browse. With Kendall Browse? And push Hoover to the side? Potentially. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, again, we think KJ's not an NFL guy, right, based on how he throws it? Correct. Yeah. Like, other teams that run that scheme that that he had a lot of success in. Mississippi State, actually. Tennessee? (laughs) And and, Yeah, but, like, I don't think Tennessee – Nico better be ready, I I would think. I don't know, Jordan can – like KJ's from Mississippi. 
if it's not Dylan Gabriel, I could see him playing at Mississippi State. Mm. Yeah, or maybe. like worst case USF, I guess if uh, um, if he wants to drop down, if if Barry and Brown hits the portal from USF, I know that that's one that other schools are looking at too. Um, yeah, yeah, that's weird. Where's Byron Brown from? Is it? He's from, he's isn't from, he? From, yeah, where, where, where is he from? He's from Raleigh. Yeah, you right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. and and that's that's where NC State is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Okay. All right. And so and we don't think still, Morris is back, and Brennan Armstrong's not. Oh, that's, I was going to ask you about that. Are, are we done pretending that NJ Morris is coming back? <laughs> I I tell you what. Um, the okay. uh, the NC State's NIL um was very excited to announce. Their, you know, their commitment from Kevin Concepcion, Casey Concepcion, who is, as we saw in the last four games of the season, the offense, you know, the reason why they were able to get to nine wins. So if you've got KC back and, you know, you can bring in a, a nice dual threat like Byron Brown, Robert and I could have some fun with that. If that did happen, I actually think that Ja'Curry Brown at USF could make a lot of sense because like my Leaves uh, Miami quarterback go go to the Bulls right and I I, I saw Gabby Rudy a, a report that he uh, he is going to play the bowl game for Miami but he's not a very good thrower of the football but like in a spread it out run around type system that could work there yeah. um I guess that that is, that is opinion is offensive to Danny yeah so Danny's I'm, like I'm, I'm out of here out of the screw chair. this D, D Kane has had enough yeah. um, um all right, any, uh, who does South Carolina get? Like, they are they going to need somebody, or are they going to stick with with Sellers? Because I, I think they like Sellers a lot. Our, our chat's asking. I, Could I you would see probably KJ there? there? Mm, maybe I don't know. That's I don't know if KJ really fits in what they're trying to do. Brad Crawford at twenty four seven Sports. South Carolina is the front runner for Arkansas quarterback KJ Jefferson. Should he enter the transfer portal? Sources tell twenty four seven Sports. Oh, all right then. So that must mean they think Sellers is not ready to, to, to play. Right. Okay. So Jefferson yes. goes bridge. And also, how about this? Big, you know, like dynamic in terms of being able to extend a play if your offensive line isn't going to improve. Having somebody like K.J. Jefferson could at least give you a better chance to keep plays alive or get positive yards. Yeah, like they're going to need to make a bowl game next year, I, I think, for, for Beamer to feel good, you know, long term. Like you got to return to a bowl. I think. Mm. Uh, where does Vanderbilt go? Um, if I had to make a guess, Simpson from Alabama. Ooh, Ty Simpson. Mm-hmm. And Corey says, which Georgia quarterback will transfer? Vandergriff? We think Beck's going pro, I assume. That's that's what I was going to ask. That's what I think. Beck might go pro. So, I mean, if he has a good enough like playoff, like I think he's had a great season. I think that his draft stock could go flying up the boards if he's really good in the playoff. Mm. Um, Honestly, I might take back ahead of one of the two guys we talked about all year. No, no. I might take him ahead of one of the two guys we talked about all year. Well, look, as Bears fans now, we, we which one do we want? <laughs> which one would of those guys would I rather have on the Bears next year? Yeah. Carson Beck. Out of the number one pick. Oh, the Bears won't have the number one pick. They'll trade okay. it. Okay. So we're trading it. Okay. Yeah. I, like if we want to trade the number one pick and go back, I I, I could see that. Mm-hmm. I'm a Bears fan now. If you know this, at, at mm-hmm. a solid area of time. Monday night, Bud was sweating it with fan. me. Yeah. 
Yes, I was. Is that why y'all were texting so much? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of money. We do not, we do not have a lot of Monday night football interest in the group chat normally, but Bud and Tom were dialed. Mm-hmm. So, kicking their way to glory. The Chicago right. Bears. How about them? Um, but I, uh, I saw, I saw you sent along a note. We got another, uh, another, some more bad news for the Colorado buffs on the uh, recruiting trail. Is this for the 24 cycle or 25 cycle, 20, 24 cycle. So they, they, they lost their 25 QB and they lost their 24 QB in about 24 hours. So not, uh, not great there. Um, now I don't, think that he was like a stud so i'm not going to make a huge deal out of this in terms of like oh they, they lost a generational player but it is a little weird um but if you lose your oc uh mm-hmm. that that could make some sense so we'll have to see where uh, where where they pivot to uh, you know pretty good article out on the athletic uh today i, I thought by david Ubbin and feldman and they they quoted a bunch of anonymous uh pac-12 coaches who played against them and the pac-12 coaches basically refrain was we didn't want any of those guys they signed along the line of scrimmage which i feel like i've heard that before on yeah so we'll see if they if they can rebuild the uh the line of scrimmage this offseason man nobody loves a victory lap like bud elliott man <laughs> well there might be some competition in there i don't know I'm just uh, yeah D- D- dk receipts have been good man what so you got brady quinn on hq yeah i know <laughs> brady had F- fsu twitter coming after him what about the size of the class like that jumped out to me they only have nine commits it might even be eight why why is it so small and how concerning is that are they gonna make a run is it gonna be used for the transfer portal like does that tell you anything about colorado yeah i, I think they're trying to load up to see what they can do in 2024 absolutely makes me question if Dion intends to be there past 2024. Mm. I mean, like, like, I, we're not wh- getting you out of high school. We are just going to load up on as much portal as we can and go make a run for it, hope for better results. Yeah. Like, what are you doing now that suggests that you care about building a program there past 2024? Because your, your actions tell me a lot about your intentions. Mm-hmm. Like, do you guys think he's there after 2024? I don't know. I, I would need, but I have not thought about, um, I've not no. thought about that. So I will say no. Okay. Yeah, I'd say no. I think we're trying to get Shadur to the NFL and we're trying to get him as good of a team as possible next year to pump him up. To highlight it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. Coming up on the other side, every single Wednesday, we take some of the biggest games of the week and we give them an, a deep dive treatment. It's big game breakdown. It's coming up next This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. 
reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast. If you're watching along live at youtube.com slash cover3, then you just saw a promotion for another chapter in the modern rivalry that is Alabama and Georgia. Nick Saban and Kirby Smart, they are meeting college football playoff implications for both teams in Atlanta. 4 p.m. Eastern time is the kickoff. You can watch it on CBS, stream it on Paramount+. Plus. Catch your boy um, in studio on CBS Sports HQ for pregame, halftime, and postgame. Um, oh, I mean, it's it's kind of a beast of a game. Um, Danny, what's the what's the the piece of this that is um, standing out the most to you? How about let's start with Jalen Milrow. Jalen Milrow, really strong. Um, Vibes are great to finish the season, no doubt. After converting, you know the the thirty one yard hail mary. You know, on Gravedigger. Um, how do you think Jalen Milrow is going to perform against this Georgia defense? Depends on if they can take away his run or not. I think there's two phases. You want to take away his run game and you want to take away the big pass. And it's something we've talked about all season long. Uh, 55% on, he's completing 55% of his passes of 20 more yards in the air. And he's got 15 touchdowns and one interceptions on those throws. And then look at the games where he's killed teams with his legs. It's like, oh. So if you can take away those things, I think like you pretty much are challenging him to beat you in areas that he's not very good at. So I would expect Kirby to try to do that. And the thing that's unique about this matchup is that like Georgia should be pretty good at doing the part through the deep ball. I think they should be able to defend him, but can they get like, I think their secondary will stack up nicely. I think they'll be able to do that. So I think it kind of boils down to his legs. Like, can you prevent the big play, the extending third and fourth down conversions, giving up the big 30, 40 yard rush, you know, for a touchdown. Can you take that away? That to me is like the biggest matchup in this game is Georgia's defense against. And they're, it's, it's interesting because their run defense, their defensive line has not been great. Like this is that, that's the one thing that's different about this Georgia team in the third year of this dynasty is they've completely almost flipped the script of what they've been. You know, the defense was what they started on. Offense kind of was weaker. Then last year was probably the culmination of everything altogether. Then this year, the defense is good. Like, I'm not saying I'm not trashing the defense, but the offense has actually been carrying the bulk of the water for the Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah, I'm optimistic about their ability to slow Alabama down because, like, it's not the same schematically, but as far as the areas of the field that they attack, the Alabama offense isn't really that much different than like the Tennessee offense, and we have seen Georgia pretty much able to smother that the last two years. And I think you'll see a similar approach from them defensively where they'll, you know, all right, Jalen, hit hit the singles. We know you can hit the home runs, but if we take that away from you, just see if you can hit the short stuff. But, yeah, you're right. It's like can they contain him? in the pocket and keep him from running and, you know, extending drives with his legs, picking up first downs and that kind of stuff. Because we've also seen like Georgia's secondary has been the better part of its defense this year, but because of that, I don't want to say it's, it's it, the pass rush hasn't been incredible. And we have seen the secondary kind of get chewed up at times because of that, not like consistently, but you can hit big plays on them because they don't get to the QB the same way that they used to. So that's going to be a key thing. But on the other side, like you were saying, 
can Alabama get enough stops against this Georgia offense? Because this is a really difficult Georgia offense to stop right now because early in the year they were really struggling to run the ball. That's no longer the case. They've been able to run the ball now for at least a month. They're very well balanced. They're very complete. If you take something away from them, they can counter and go somewhere else and beat you with it. They've got a lot more weapons in the passing game than you probably realize. And it's just, it's it's a really tough team to stop. So, yeah, it's it, it's going to come down to, you know, this is, you ready for this one, guys? It's going to come down to who can get stops. <laughs> hey, you know, but like, so we don't have, um, obviously Nolan Smith got injured before the end of the season, but I mean, this crew of linebackers, I mean, there's no N'Kobe Dean out there. You know, w- this is a big game for, you know, whether it's Dumas Johnson, you know, whether it's Munden, whether it's Sorry, you know, a lot of these guys. It's been Allen, because Dumas Johnson got hurt. Like, like Allen, the freshman, the freshman is balling yeah. for them. True yeah. freshman's gotten a lot of a lot of time. Like this, this uh Chambliss, you know, like this is a, a big, big game for some of those Georgia linebackers, which has been a, a little bit of a rotation unit, some because of health, like you mentioned, uh with Dumas Johnson. But can in my mind, when I'm thinking about containing the um the big playability of Jalen Milrow, it's gonna be about those linebackers being able to keep him in the pocket and not being able to break contain and give him those free free lanes to run because it's it is a group that I know because we're sitting here criticizing, not criticizing, we are being critical of a Georgia defense that is big air quotes here, only Trash. like top fifteen yeah. to top twenty in the country, right? Yeah. We're just so used to seeing that be like one, five. And on third down, they've been very good this year. Um, I, it is a it is a big like challenge yourself. You can step up and and really secure this uh, this SEC championship. If Georgia gets really 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 good play out of that defensive front, then I mean it might it might not be close. So they have struggled with running quarterbacks this year though. So yeah. Auburn Auburn was able to move the ball on both of these defenses. <laughs> mm-hmm. What do we What do we make with that? Like we go common opponent on this thing, and he was he like, was very good at putting together a game plan. That's what I put together out of that. <laughs> and we don't trust Tommy Reese or Mike Bobo to be able to be nearly as creative as it pertains to uh, exposing whatever flaws or weaknesses might be on tape from those games. I trust that they can. I just think that Hugh's very very good at it. Yeah. Yeah. I. Like Georgia's defense definitely is not as like automatic, you know, robot dialed in as it's been in, in past years. You know, like they 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 do jump around some, they get out of gaps some. Like they there there are ways that you can move the ball on them that I actually think match up fairly well with what Alabama does. It's just going to come down to like, how does Georgia's run blitz stuff work? Do they keep Milrow in the pocket? He's improved as a thrower. I don't think he scares Georgia as a thrower. I think he scares them as a thrower on the run or as a thrower because Georgia has to play certain coverage looks that are accounting for the legs. I think UGA is excellent in coverage. So they should be able to hang with Alabama's receivers. But Bama does have some guys who have some real ability. Like, of course they do. They have the highest blue chip ratio ever, right? Like, Bama still has a lot of dudes. They just, you know, their offense stalls at times. They were down at the half to Tennessee, right? They needed a miracle to beat Auburn. They looked really good against an LSU team that had all four corners out and their best D tackle out. Like a lot of people have looked good in recent weeks against that LSU defense now that they lost those guys. So I think Georgia can probably move it on on or sorry, I think Alabama could probably move it on Georgia some. How many third and long type situations can Georgia force? 
Because then I think it really does shift uh, to a decided advantage in Georgia's favor. On the flip side, like some of the stuff people have done run game wise to get Alabama is not exactly what Georgia does. So I'm curious, like, can Georgia just line up and mash it at Bama? Because Bama's got a, I think Bama's got the best defense in the country. So I mean, maybe I'm wrong about that. Like, certainly the times this year they've given up some yards, but like, player wise, I mean, Turner and Braswell are, are freaks off the edge. I think they got nice cover guys. The linebackers are good. They got a lot of guys who can play inside. I, I don't think Georgia's just going to like throw it all over the yard. They're going to have to make some big time plays one on one. Getting Bowers back probably helps a ton. You know, like this is a game where like you you go to them when you need them, and you probably need them a lot. What what team offensively had the most success against Bama in their backyard? Probably LSU, LSU or Texas, and one of those oh, two. Yeah. yeah, I was thinking because I think the Texas game plan looks more similar than the LSU game plan. You know, so like that's what that like the big plays like you were talking about. Like that's the recipe I think if you're Georgia, what their offense could look like. Are those the only two like what we would call good quarterbacks Bama actually faced this year? Because like maybe there's a situation. Because like Dart didn't have any of the receivers healthy when he played him, and Bama knew it, and and they just disrespected the. Because remember, Ole Miss was like Harris and Franklin, and the tight end pre-scoring were all hurt. I, I mean, there seems to be like A and M. They got it was Max Johnson, Auburn's Thorn. Who I mean, we just I talked mean, about last segment. Statistically, like, the play. only the only red numbers on Alabama's defensive profile from the year are Texas and LSU. Mm-hmm. And both those teams moved it on him. So, like, maybe there's a chance I'm wrong about Bama's defense. Like, maybe when they face a decent quarterback, they give up a lot. Yeah. Possible. SC quarterback play this year was was really bad, especially, like, the ones Bama faced. So, you know, like, there's some unknowns. Except for three. Was Byron Brown a top-five quarterback that Alabama faced this year? Well, he only scored seven points on him, so. (laughs) Three points. Like, would I take Byron Brown over Johnson, anybody from Mississippi State, Thorne, KJ, Joe Milton, or KJ? No. Now, he's definitely a top five quarterback to Bama's face so far this year. I don't know if he's like top three. Yeah. I would take healthy dart over him. We've got – we're going to be doing our, our locks for this tomorrow. But before we uh, before we move on, what's the, what's the overall general sense for – the way the game's going to play out without giving away your pick. Some of us already gave away a lot <laughs> last weekend. <laughs> well, Chip, I think both teams are going to try to score points and the other teams are going to try to stop from scoring points. And then in the end, one of those teams will have more points than the other. I, I mean, this line has been out for like 10 days now. Right. It, it opened at like four, got bet down to three. And then since then, it's just been all George money. Mm-hmm. So... I don't think it goes to seven. Probably sits around six. I don't know. We'll see. Stay tuned for locks. No, no total, no total thoughts. I think it's higher scoring. Yeah. Yeah. Like on numbers, I can't get there, but on athletes, like when you have this many athletes playing a game, a lot of times it's like, okay, big plays are going to happen because you have a lot of what I would call like touchdown scores. Right. On both sides. I I think Alabama's Alabama determines how this game goes. I don't think Alabama is I don't think Alabama's in a position with the way that it has played this year 
with the inconsistencies across the entire body of work across all 12 games, 11 of them against FBS opponents. Um, I, I think that if Alabama comes out there and, and plays its best game, then yes, absolutely. It can win. I think Georgia can win not without its best game. I think Alabama needs its best game. And so that makes it, you know, you're just only uh, putting it on the hands of the greatest coach in college football history. Try to get them ready to go play their best game. Be very curious to see uh, how that goes. To be fair to Alabama, I think everybody needs their best game to beat Georgia. Right. Yeah. You know this, and and that's why I say like Georgia can probably win without its best game. Mm-hmm. But I do think that Alabama's got to jump up into Georgia's realm to be able to to go toe to toe and get out of Atlanta with a win. That would send, again, as I said last night on the Tuesday Reaction Show, two results cause heartbreak. That's all it takes. Alabama over Georgia paired with Florida State over Louisville is heartbreak. It results in power conference champions being left out and or the two-time reigning champions with the 12-1 and record being left out and or undefeated team being left out. Which Think I don't of think the takes, happen. Chip. What? Think of the takes. I look, I'm just I've I'm just laying it out now, so it's not a surprise later. An Alabama win at 4 p.m. Eastern time, paired with the Florida State win at 8 p.m. Eastern time, it's chaos. That's all it's gonna take. We'll see. Coming up on the other side, well, we gotta talk about whether what Florida State needs to do to win that game against Louisville and the Oregon-Washington rematch in Texas against Oklahoma State, another one with a lot of playoff implications. We'll get into those and more next. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Valladares, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. Baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast. Uh, Let's start with Friday night. Um, These are two teams that I think, while Washington continues to have a zero in the loss column, if if we're just checking the the vibes GPT, one, one is shooting straight up into the sky, and the other one is just hanging on for dear life. Tom, how do you see this matchup going as they meet again? Remember the first meeting, a three-point win for the Washington Huskies in Seattle. This will be in Las Vegas in Allegiant Stadium. What's uh, what, what are the big keys to Washington, Oregon in your mind? I mean, it's it's no different than the first time that they played in, in, in my view of it. it's I think Oregon is the more complete team here. And I felt that way all year. And Washington won the game, and there's nothing to take away from that other than Washington won the game. 
But when I look at these two defenses, I have far more faith in Oregon's than I do Washington's. And I think Washington's defense is probably the primary reason why they have struggled to put teams away and they find themselves in so many close games. But it's not the only reason. The other reason is, and this started with the Oregon game, Michael Penix hasn't been Michael Penix for two months. Mm-hmm. Like the first five games of the year, he was completing 75% of his passes. He had like 16 touchdowns and one interception. The last seven games, he's completed fewer than 60% of his passes with 19 touchdowns, and like six interceptions. He's not, he has not had nearly the same productivity. He has not had nearly the same accuracy. He's become overly reliant on Roma Dunze, which I'm not going to blame anybody for doing that. Yeah, but it's like early in the year, I felt like he was doing a much better job spreading it around. And lately, I feel like it's become the Adunze show. And some of that's been injuries that have forced that. But I just think, I don't know. It's, it's an interesting situation. It depends which Michael Penix we get. If we get early season Michael Penix, I think Washington has a very, very good shot of beating Oregon again, staying undefeated and going to the playoff. If we get the Michael Penix we've seen most of the last month and a half, it's really hard for me not to think Oregon is going to win this game and it's not going to come down to a fourth down conversion attempt or a late last second field goal. This line implies Penix is hurt to me. 10? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like what what can we possibly make Oregon and Washington? Like we think Oregon's like a 25 and Washington's like a 15? No, I think or oh yeah, maybe. Yes. Yeah. Like it's hard to see Washington as just a 15 if Penix is actually healthy. He hasn't looked Tom like Tom nailed this. Penix has not looked right for a month. Either Penix finds a way to get healthy fat uh, to get right. I'm not gonna say get healthy because I don't I don't I don't know that he's hurt. He looks like he's playing hurt, right? Doesn't look right at all to me. The completion percentage is just dropped off the cliff. Like he's just missing guys. I I I got I got some numbers for you here. Uh, in yeah. the month of September, uh, completion percentage for Michael Penix seventy four point seven. In October sixty point three. In November fifty seven point nine yards per attempt. In September eleven point two. In October eight point two. In November seven point two. Seven for me is very average. That's like that a, is yeah. That's not, jag. Yeah, that is that is jag level and passer rating. 196.46 in September, 144.71 in October, 134.99 in November. All of all of the numbers split out by month just continue to drop down. Um, it, it backs up what we've been saying without a doubt. He was averaging, I think, 399 yards a game. In September. First, and then now he's had one, one game over 300 yards in the last four. Like it's totally different. I'm with, I'm on the same page as all of them. And what's even worse news is Dylan Johnson was around with a walking boot at the end of the game in the Apple Cup. Like there's some rumblings out there that he could be banged up. I do think it's probably a combination of either he's banged up, but we know that there's been issues at the wide receivers outside of Adunze that have missed time. They're banged up. Like they're this is where, you know, the college football season, any football season, NFL, this happens too. It is a it's a it's a war of attrition. Like who stays the healthiest? Some of that, a lot of it's luck, you know, scheduling and just avoiding the big injury. And I think it's all starting to take its toll. The other thing is, I mean, you guys mentioned this too. Oregon feels like they they knew they were better, the better team. And I I had this take, and I this can be a DK receipt special yes. for you guys. Because 
at the end of the game, when he was going for the third, uh, the fourth down conversion, the third one, I was like, I, cause I, I hate when people go back and they say, Oh, it was the right decision. Of course they got it. Or it was the wrong decision. So like right at the time I said, I love the decisions. And then I said, because I think this, and even regardless if they get them, the players love when you show confidence in them and that you have that aggressive mindset. And so afterwards, I was like, you know what? I think the players are going to respond to that. And I, I think they did. I think it was one of those losses that can be motivating that they say, man, our coach believed in us. We got his back. I think they've almost used it as that turning point of the season. And so they've taken off and just been firing all cylinders where it totally makes all the sense in the world where everyone's like, who's the team you don't want to play? It's Oregon. I mean, they are. I mean, they they look like I test. I mean, best team in the country, right? I mean, I yeah, second. But behind who? Behind Georgia. Uh, but uh, but we're that's the conversation. If yeah. we're just if we're just talking about like how you look, Oregon has for the second half of the season been an absolute juggernaut, and the I was watching the schools uh you know the the school propaganda the cinematic breakdown you know they've they get out there and like dan i i had a a a mimic of dan lanning's uh you know they're out there for clicks you're out there for wins you know right after it happened but the way that he you know more and more that we've heard from dan lanning more and more that i've gotten to see i mean he's still early in his head coaching career he can motivate those guys to go out there and just be absolute dogs. Like there is nothing that there is not Dan Lanning's Oregon is not like a, a flash and uh, it, it's not a flashy team. It's not just the alternate uniforms. Like that is a group that goes out there to eliminate your will to compete. And I, I am extremely impressed with the way that the ducks have finished the season. The one advantage, and this is sort of just psychological. And I would say this is anytime. And I've, I've mentioned this on here a bunch. Like Washington's been in a lot of close games. Oregon hasn't. Mm. Like if they can keep it close, mm-hmm. I think they start to build their confidence. We already did this once, right? We we did this in our backyard. We were trailing late. We had to come back. Like you've done all this and Oregon didn't. So it and that's the big question for me is can Washington hang around? Whether it's I don't I just I don't envision a scenario where they're shutting them down, but can they score enough points? Can Michael Penix, you know, pull out some heroics? And you know they get all receivers involved. Maybe Dylan Johnson's foot isn't that bad. And can they can they go toe to toe with them? Because then if it's a fourth quarter game, all of a sudden all the pressure completely flips onto Oregon. Like you guys are supposed to win this game. It can't blow this. So I think that'll be interesting. We think Oregon needs style points. No, if they win, they're in. Yeah, I but they I, want them with Nick's for the Heisman, right? Yeah, I think. It's weird because I think Nick's almost needs the Heisman moment because he's got the stats. He's got the year. But like in that case, like it's not really style points for your, you know, if it's because I think of Heisman moments like of him needing a, what Penix did to him at the end of the game in Seattle. Like two throws to win the game. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you don't, but you also want the style points. And I think a lot of it, I mean, it's interesting because Daniels is done, right? He's already laid down. Maybe it is just, Hey, my moment is go look at my stats. Go look at the year. You know, I was gonna say if it's just stats, it's not really close. Yeah, I'm I'm kind of of the mindset that we are we we are hanging a playoff bid in the air of the Pac-12 championship game. 
Winner, there are there are very few there are very very narrow paths where Oregon could find themselves screwed even with the win, but it takes yeah. a lot of other pieces to also break in just the right way. Among them, Alabama over Georgia, Florida State over Louisville. Okay, that's all I'm saying. It's just those are the chaos scenarios. All right, uh, let's let's keep it rocking and rolling. Let's turn our attention to Florida State and Louisville. Woo! This is. In the Jeff Brom roller coaster, the Jeff Brom roller coaster theory says that you're going to get the best out of the cards. But do you think that you are going to get the best out of the cards? And if so, what would be? Let's, let's do some research, some opposition research. What would be Louisville's best game plan to try to beat Florida State? Well, I, look, I don't know if Plummer's amazing, but he's one of the best quarterbacks that FSU's faced this year. Whoa, so we, hold on. <clears throat> You keep talking. I, I got to check this. Think about this. I, I've, right. I've, I've thought about this a little bit. Um, FSU plays a lot of man coverage, and Louisville can exploit that at times. I, th- I think Jeff Brom is you know an awesome offensive coach, and I think they'll probably you know try and, and most likely be able to scheme some stuff up. Louisville offensive line has been sort of a mixed bag this year at times. Uh, FSU is probably the best D line that they're going to face. So, you know, like those guys on FSU's defensive line seem to be hitting their stride. They're, they're really ripping, you know, Verse and Peyton and, and you know, Lovett and Farmer and Fisk and those dudes. So, but like, I, I think Louisville can probably move the ball and score some, honestly. And a lot of it's going to come down, and this seems simplistic, to FSU's offense, right? With, you know, Tate Rodemaker in there playing. Guys, just, we said this on the instant, 250 yards against UF, like they didn't even get there. That's a terrible UF defense. So if, if FSU plays like it played against Florida, it will lose. DK. Let me ask you this. Do oh, you yeah. think if Louisville had beaten Kentucky that this game's like pick or like Louisville won? How much? No, I, I, I think Louisville was seven. Wasn't it six and a half? I think before the before the champ before rivalry weekend, I think Florida was six and a half, right? Oh, and then everybody got to see Rotomaker and then yeah, that's mm-hmm. like a three point adjustment. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, Which, if Louisville would beat Kentucky. I think there's a very good chance it's favored right now. Yeah. Oh yeah. Based I, I on yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Based on if, if Florida State did exactly what they did, and you saw Rodemaker struggle the first half. Um, I agree with Bud saying. I think you're gonna need a lot of points. I do think, like it was, and I, I think Rodemaker struggled in the first half with speed, like just speed of game, everything, speed of the pass rush, like, it, and I, we mentioned this, like, it's, oh, we're live, like. Like you're not used to getting hit. You're like, oh, I can make this throw, and you got guys whizzing by you because they can't hit you. Well, all of a sudden they're hitting you, and your lies like, oh, and he got crushed a couple of times too. I thought that was exactly what happened. Then talked about like his quarterback slide. Like if you're gonna slide, you need to let him know. And he's kind of going up high. Like I still thought it was a dirty hit, but he didn't do him himself any favors by not, you know, leaving that extra step to go ahead and get down. If not getting the first down or you know touchdown, you know, protect yourself. But those are all things that you can't get in a practice where there's not full contact. Uh, but I also thought he did a better job like settling the game. I do think, again, it's very you know common cliches. I think you got to have Trey Benson carry a majority of the workload. Can you get him running? Because this offense is, even when Jordan was doing it, it is a run-based offense. They want, they want to be physical. And their best offensive performances, I think, are when Benson gets going. And he's kind of juggernaut that has to be there. And what we didn't really see from Roderick, we saw a little bit of run game, and I still think he's athletic. I still think he can run. Maybe they want to work a little bit of that in as well. Um, but 
I think they're going to have to score points too. I'm with Bud. You know, Thrash is pretty dynamic at receiver. Um, you know, the backs just and, and Brom is a very he'll do some concepts that'll make you uncomfortable. He's going to have some man beaters that you know Bud's talking about some guys crossing crossing routes where you they're pretty easy throws, and he'll have some deep like he'll just he's going to come up with some concepts that'll put up some points, and then or or maybe maybe it's just big plays like that's where. Florida State has been susceptible to bigger plays that are touchdowns. You know, it's not the worst to give up a 20-yard gain. Just don't give up the 40-yard 40, 40 touchdown. Yeah, the things I'm looking for in this game, and you touched on a little bit with Rodemaker there, especially early in the Florida game, things were moving really quick for him. And you see that a lot. In that You know, you have Jordan Travis, who's been playing quarterback for like 70 years at this point, who's <laughs> very experienced. He's very mobile. He understands how to move around in the pocket, how to buy himself time. He just, you know, he's not really, he's never really rattled. And then you come in with a kid who doesn't, has not played a ton, is not used to it, and is in a very pressure-packed situation last week. And he struggled. Like, the game was really fast for him. And he was holding on to the ball too damn long a lot of the time. And that is going to be a problem if he does that again this week because Louisville's got one of the most the better pass rushes in the country as far as pressure rate, they put a lot of pressure on you. And will if he's standing in there and he's indecisive, he's going to get pushed into either making mistakes or he's going to get sacked and lose yards and put yourself in third and long situations, which you really will not want with Tate Rodemaker. You'd, you'd rather have Travis, obviously. So that's going to be key. Can we get him to be comfortable in getting the ball out to the very good receivers that he has and just rely on his playmakers? Can you use Trey Benson to slow down that pass rush? So that, I think, is going to be Florida State's approach. On the other side, Bud, you mentioned it. Florida State runs a lot of man. Uh, I saw Jeff Brom last year against Illinois, which is a defense Mm -hmm. that ran a lot of man. And the entire philosophy behind it is – at this level, we're not facing a ton of quarterbacks who can really beat this. Like, if we get pressure, our guys can cover long enough to cover it because these guys can't get through reads like that. Jeff Brom against Illinois last year just dialed some stuff up and made Illinois' defense look like Swiss cheese for the most part in that game, and that is something that would concern me about Brom. But on the other side, is Jack Plummer going to be able to make those throws? Because Jack has his he has his good moments and he has his bad moments. He also has, you know, Jamari Thrash. He has good weapons around it. And the other thing Purdue did in that game was they were able to run the ball with Maccabi. Can Jawar Jordan find space to move the ball to kind of slow down Florida State's pass rush to help, you know, give them more time there? So it is going to be a very interesting battle, I think, between Norvell and Brom in that We've got to find ways to make Rodemaker comfortable. We've got to make it easy for him, but we also can't make it so easy that it becomes easy for Louisville to stop. And it's going to be whether or not Brom can scheme up stuff to take advantage of what Florida State likes to do defensively. There also is this good. I was just going to say with 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 Rodemaker, I thought you know he had the safety, which you could argue is a pretty bad mistake, Mm -hmm. but he didn't have the like the big. Other than that, like he didn't throw the big pick six. He didn't like you know the turnovers. He was pretty good with the football. And even the safety, like it's better than a pick six, right? And that's, and then early, I mean, this has happened at times with Jordan Travis where he struggled. I mean, go back to the LSU game, week one, you know, the Florida State offense was struggling. Florida State's defense got several, you know, fourth down stands, goal line stands. So, like, that might be necessary again, you know, in this type of game. Can you get that red zone, fourth down stop, goal line stand, uh, you know, and then can, can Rodemaker avoid that? critical big mistake you know even i think herb street was talking about it throughout the fourth quarter he's like it just feels like who's going to make that big mistake you know there is some chance that louisville's defense is not as good as his numbers i I, i've been looking at this a a little bit and 
Like last three weeks. Yeah, they haven't been great. Kentucky, 6.2 yards of play. Miami, 7.5. UVA, 6.4. Like that's not, those are not explosive offenses that you're facing, and you're giving up quite a few points and yards, more yards for, for UVA than points. But like they all move the ball uh, on you. And then I think prior to that, Vatek, which really can't throw, Duke, which was on QB3 again, I believe, right? Uh, Hold on, Virginia and Kentucky were at home too. That's the other thing. Yeah, like you were playing at home. That's supposed to be you get the early stop, you force them into third and long. You know, the uh, the artist formerly known as the Big Pizza Box starts rocking, and then you're able to take those pass rushers. And Louisville does have good pass rushers, and you can just pin their ears back in a third and long scenario and let them go. But no, like I I think the Virginia and K- Kentucky performances and look. Special teams also factored into Kentucky's 38 points there, but um, I I think that's absolutely a fair concern. If I'm a Louisville fan, I am really hoping that my defense has gotten in the lab, gotten healthy, done whatever they need to do to be able to clean it up because if Louisville's defense plays the way it has in the final three games of the regular season, it will not win against Florida State. It's one of the beauties of college football, or, or at least one of the things we have to like acknowledge and appreciate. Let's just embrace it. I mean, sometimes you get a team that has faced a bunch of opponents and, and their numbers are more about the opponents, right? Like Pitt, Duke without both quarterbacks, Notre Dame. NC, like we watched that NC State game. That was a Thursday or Friday night ball game. Like NC State's offense was disaster area at that point. You know, Boston College, six yards of play. Indiana, 5.9 yards of play. Georgia Tech, seven yards of play. Uh, People have moved it on them. I, I think they have some players, and I think that they know what they're doing defensively. Like the defense doesn't suck, but I kind of think both sides will find a way to score points on each other. Like these are two head coaches I very rarely bet unders on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Like, Mike Norvell and Jeff Brom. Let's see. Let's, let's pull up like, some unders. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I, I'm with you there. Um, all right. Let's anything else on uh, the Knowles and the cards? All right, let's go to Dallas. This will be noon Eastern time. Uh, Texas and Oklahoma State, the Longhorns, heavy favorites, 14 and a hook. You know, if you're if you're looking at, you know, where the real question marks are, the least amount of question marks are probably at Michigan, Iowa, but Texas, heavily favored. Best season since 2009. What could go wrong? Tom? I mean, this is uh, – can Oklahoma State run the ball? That's if they can't run the ball, they're they've got no shot in hell of winning this game. Like, because that is really like, I know Alan Bowman has kind of taken steps forward, but still their passing attack overall to me has not been overly impressive. Where they have thrived is with Ollie Gordon and running the ball. And this is a very good Texas defense. It's a very good Texas defensive line, and they are incredible against the run. So it's going to be a really tough road for them to hoe. And then on the other side, it's just, I mean, I've said it every single week for the last two months now whenever we talk about Texas. If they don't finish drives, they let teams hang around. And if you let somebody hang around, then it only takes one mistake or one guy getting out of their fit to lose a game. So will we see the Texas that we saw last week that just kind of stomped on Texas Tech's throat and kept twisting their foot until there was nothing left there? Or are we going to see the mess around Texas? If it's the Texas we saw last week, this will be a blowout. If it's not, I haven't hedged yet. Hmm. There's only one team in the league that has like big time D linemen, and it's Texas. Texas. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, like it, it's if you watch Big Twelve football, it's noticeably different. Like Oklahoma doesn't have guys like that. Oklahoma State doesn't really have guys like that. Not many of them, at least. Nobody else in that league has like multiple big time D linemen like Texas has. That's why the number is what it is because Oklahoma State's offensive line has been much better down the stretch, but they haven't really faced teams that have big time players. You know, so uh, like when we talk about like are they SEC ready? That's why I think Texas is like they have legitimate D linemen who, who who wreck your drive and and they you know. But like it's still Gundy. Like I think he's going to find a way to score some points. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know about win the game, but it. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that it's a walkover. But I do think that the one team out there this week that needs style points is Texas. Mm. Like it would very much behoove Texas to to, to score fifty. So, you know, if you're if if, if you're taking fourteen and a half with Oklahoma State, and you're hoping like oh I got a backdoor possibility too. Like I don't know that Texas is going to stop throwing. They, they might be run up, run up. The other aspect, too, I think we talked with this about the Iowa State game. You know, Texas secondary is susceptible to the big plays. You know, so, and then like it gets kind of interesting because if you want to stop Ollie Gordon, you got to bring more guys in the box. It puts your, your secondary on a little bit more of an island with some of the corners. And so, like, can you, can you scheme it up? And, the Oklahoma State's defense, their excuse me, their offensive line has been pretty good at limiting sacks. Like Bowman hasn't been under that much pressure, so like, and and a lot of that's by you know play action pass is great pass protection. Mm-hmm. You know, like so, can you scheme it up like you're talking about Mike Gundy, good offensive mind? Can you hit some of those? Keep this thing interesting. You know, Quinn Ewers has looked great. C.J. Baxter's looked you know fine filling in for Jonathan Brooks. Like I and you know the one thing too that does wear down defensive line is pace. In Oklahoma State, they like to go pretty fast. You know, like, so can you can you sustain some drives, get them on their heels a little bit? Then all of a sudden, there's tongues start dragging on the ground. You know, it's when all of a sudden, you know, this hole start opening up. It's definitely easier to block on the offensive line where you know where you're going than chasing all day as a defensive lineman. Crap. What? I have to pick this game when we finish the show. I've flip-flopped four times <laughs> in this conversation. I was like, Oklahoma State team total under. Well, they could scheme up 21 points. Okay. All right. Well, maybe you take Oklahoma State. But Texas does need style points. Okay. Well, maybe you take the over. But why would you take the over when Texas is bad in the red zone? I got no clue. Here's what you do, Chip. No clue. Bud, and if you guys want, Bud put out a video on how to hedge this if you want to do it before the game. My plan is I'm going to hope Oklahoma State scores early and that Texas money line comes down a little bit so that way I could hedge a little, get a little guarantee more on my hedge than I would have to pay right now. I I didn't really want to hedge it, but like so many people are asking, like, how, how would you hedge this? I'm like, fine, you're right. Like, like the logic, if you're betting Oklahoma State to win the Big 12, is schedule and the likelihood mm-hmm. that one of the two, if not both, of Texas and Oklahoma would be down. We got everything we needed for them to get there. Right. I don't know that Texas is down. This is like the best Texas team I've, I've seen in, in, in over a decade. So you know, here, here, Maybe this will help you decide what to do with your pick, Chip. My sports book is not even offering me a cash out on Oklahoma State right now. They're like, nope, no cash out. <laughs> You're either going to win or lose, buddy. There's no in between. So you do you think that uh, do you think I would get laughed off social media if uh, our uh, 
our YouTube YouTube short is like Texas, Oklahoma State. We're going Texas money line minus seven ten. <laughs> <laughs> it's moved a good bit, by the way. I mean, it was yeah. five fifty Monday. Yeah, uh, mm, but it stayed at fourteen and a half. Like that's pretty much been rock solid. It opened thirteen and a half, and it blew through fourteen. Yeah, with uh, not much resistance. I, I don't think it'll go to seventeen. Whew. Crazy. All right. What about uh, the rest? We've got a Tulane SMU game that has a lot of uh, New Year's Six implications. Liberty, New Mexico State as well. Um, an App State Troy game is very interesting. Uh, any other any other conference championship games that have your attention or a matchup that you're watching in those? Do we want to talk the Big Ten at all? Oh my goodness! I'm so sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to know what your model has for this actually, because like but the, the the total mind spit out is stupid. I had to just do the manual adjustment thing. Was it 32? It had, it, had, it had Iowa scoring negative points. So, like, I'm like, All right, this, this won't work. <laughs> that, that might happen. I mean, that's – I rewatched I, – I watched the all 22 of, of the Ohio State-Michigan game because I had to live vlog it on Saturday. When I'm live vlogging a game, I, I can't watch it the way I usually like to watch a game. And just watching this over again – because I was trying to see if there was anything, if there was any kind of crack in the Michigan defensive armor that maybe Iowa could potentially take advantage of. <laughs> and my God, like the Michigan defensive line against Ohio State, like they didn't cause a lot of havoc. They didn't cause chaos. They weren't living in the backfield. But what they were doing was there was not a gap available to Ohio State in the run game the entire time. Like, I, maybe I saw one crease open up and Trevion Henderson hit it and it closed up quick. But they, they took the run game away from Ohio State completely after Ohio State for the last few weeks had been able to move the ball on the ground. And it was very clearly, uh, if Kyle McCord can beat us, Kyle McCord can beat us. And that is a ballsy thing to do considering Kyle McCord's got like Marvin Harrison and stuff. But they were that confident in their ability to do it and they executed it. And I'm sitting there thinking, man, Deacon Hill sure as hell ain't going to beat Michigan with his arm. The only way they're going to do anything is if, like, what they've done all year is they keep running the ball, running the ball, running the ball. Somebody misses a fit, bang, you break off a 70-yard touchdown run. I just don't see them being able to do that in this game. I don't think Michigan – if they get a field goal, it'll be because of a turnover. That's really their only prayer. Their first half team total under is 0.5. And it's juice to the under, right? Shouldn't it be? Yeah, I know. That's just wild, though. Like, that's that's unbelievable. I mean, like, will Michigan have more scores than Iowa has first downs? <laughs> but see, that's the thing because I don't know. They they will they will get pinned in the back of their end zone, and they will get to midfield. Yeah, that's fair. I, I mean, they really. I mean, they need a fl- like a fluky back spits out of there they, and just you know they need jj mccarthy to throw pick sixes that's really yeah. like they need ramon castro well, to make something crazy happen well or i mean can they i mean the way they won is by shutting out opposing defense or opposing offenses can phil parker who i think should be in every you know Broyles award list and he is but i think he should be at the top of everyone's mind can he slow down an offense which is pretty banged up like, don't forget the injuries along Michigan. We saw the Zinter one, the big one on the offensive line, but Blake Corum's been out there blooded all the time. Like, J.J. McCarthy, we talked about him. How healthy is he? Like, they're, they've been on this gauntlet late. Can they muddy this thing up? Like, that's the only way I think this game is even compelling is if Iowa's defense can do what they do against everybody else, but they haven't played the likes of this team. Can they make it ugly? 
Yeah, I called Sebastian Castro Ramon, who is a former White Sox catcher. So my, my bad on my sports brain getting mixed up on that one. <laughs> but yeah, no, but I, you, you mentioned that the Iowa defense, like what's the best offense that Iowa faced this year? Penn State. Penn State beat them 31 to nothing. And I mean, Penn State is pretty much just like Michigan Junior in a lot of ways. So it's just, yeah, I don't know. What's the second best offense they face? Because I, I think that might be like like a more illustrative of the point. Like you're going to think this is a homer thing. Illinois is the second best offense that Iowa faced. I think you're right. They didn't That's the path to championship Saturday. By the way, Texas, Texas just went to a 15 and a half. By the way, so maybe it is going to 17. Wow. <laughs> uh, look, I Michigan probably doesn't need style points, right? No, no, they could win six to three. Michigan goes up ten nothing and sits on the ball. I think so, but also like, I think it's gonna. You also, how many good field position opportunities are they gonna have? Probably a lot. Mm-hmm. Mark it both ways. Iowa team total under plus Michigan team total over. So that's the thing. I, I'm staying away from the Michigan team total because again, once they get up, they've got nothing left to prove to anybody. They're just gonna want to make sure nobody gets hurt. I mean, we saw they've been losing, like they lost Zinter last week. Their number one priority once they feel this game is wrapped up is to get the hell out of there and move on. That's true. Thank you, Tom, for making sure I don't ignore the great state of Indiana, which is playing host to Michigan and Iowa. <laughs> um, all right, what what other conference championship matchups uh, have your eye in terms of uh, places of intrigue, spots where you're looking to see something play out? I mean, the, the AAC title game lost a lot of juice with the Preston Stone. Injury, I know. Right? Yes. Like, I, I, I don't know what SMU's backup situation is there, but I, it certain to me it feels like it took a lot of electricity out of that one. I don't know that it did. Real, all right, please make this argument because SMU has been, by my analysis, the best team more consistently in the American Athletic Conference than anybody else. But the Preston Stone injury obviously has like a four to five point swing on this line. Should it? I don't, I don't, I don't think Preston Stone's very good. Okay. Like I, I watched a lot of SMU this year. I, I, I don't think that he's special. Like if I'm SMU, I'm portal hunting for a quarterback next year. Tyler Van Dyke. But if Preston sure. Stone isn't that special and he's starting, what's the backup situation look like? That is an issue because it is a freshman named Jennings. And he's yes. mm-hmm. I've seen him play a little bit, like kid pretty mobile, can throw it around some. I guess MU schemes it pretty well. But the real question for me in this is I said on the show last week I thought Tulane had been playing possum. And then they were UTSA. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Like they got a bunch of guys back from injury last week. So what what is the true power number that you should be using for Tulane? That's really the crux of this game. Like, with, with most of those guys back, how close are they to what they were at the end of last year? Because at the end of last year, I had a pretty good feel that they were like, you know, kind of mid low teens. Like, are they above a five or an eight right now? I, I, I don't know. Danny, what do you think? I think Tulane's the better team. Mm. Uh, I don't. I just think they're further along than, and it's not a knock against SMU. I think SMU's had a phenomenal year. I just think Michael Pratt's really good. I think there's a reason his name comes up. 
they're just a step ahead of where SMU is. I think SMU is going to get a lot better. I think they're going to continue to build on this year. But I just think Tulane's more physical. I think they're better at quarterback. You know, I mean, this team played Ole Miss pretty tough at home without Pratt. Right. Who's a difference maker. You know, SMU kind of struggled in their bigger games, you know, against the the bigger opponents. Bud, uh, the Chipolytics have Tulane as a 4.03, but that is all cold. Nothing factored in to be like, oh, they're playing possum or, oh, these guys are healthy. I don't have that next level Bud model going into it. But so are they a five or an eight? If you're going to assume that they were playing possum and not healthy, then the the cold floor is four. So, yeah, they could definitely be a six or a seven. And the possum is probably overstating it, right? Like, I, I don't think that there's a lot of guys who Tulane was holding out who could have played at a high level. I'm just – like, they didn't have their guys. They got away with it, and a lot of those guys were back last week, I guess. But, like, maybe some of those dudes could have played against – was it Tulsa that they, they had, like, like, a skeleton a crew out there? It, it looked like from a game-planning, play-calling perspective, the switch had flipped because they yeah. were playing UTSA and not Tulsa. And the American Athletic Conference Championship was on the line. And they they get to host this game, too, in Yulman Stadium. It's a, it's a big spot, for sure. Who is named... Uh, seven minutes on, 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 on Tulane SMU. This who's is- named head coach first somewhere else, Fritz or Jeff Trailer? Well, I mean, technically, it would probably be Trailer since UTSA is not playing. Yeah, he's ain't got a game this weekend. But where's Trailer going to be? Houston. Houston. I thought Cliff was the hot name there. I think Trailer's the hotter name. Couldn't Fritz get used? That's Fritz, well. That's what I was asking. Too, yeah. Yeah. Maybe that's what's maybe that because and I think he that's why he didn't get a job last year. He's like, I'm finishing this thing. Yeah, our friend was, uh, Richard Johnson in his latest coaching carousel write up said that the word in the industry is Fritz won't talk to anybody right. until after the conference championship game, and so there are jobs that are waiting to talk to Fritz. See like how Georgia Tech that was like, hey, we need to make a hire. And that's why we're sitting here with Brent Key as the guy. Right. Is Willie Fritz doing too good of a job for his own good? <laughs> is he that's- being too loyal? Is Willie Fritz being too loyal to his own program? Hey, and by the way, that Brent Key who would have won the ACC Coastal with a 5-3 and three conference record? <laughs> it all worked out great <laughs> for everybody. <laughs> um. All right. Any, any anything else you want to like? Little notes you want to turn turn our attention to before we get out of here? I mean, we'll be back tomorrow to like the doing a conference championship locks is not going to re- require the same you know robust. We can lean in on some of that tomorrow. But anything else you want to get out here for big game breakdown? Uh, Troy Apps kind of interesting actually. Like Apps offense has been really really good down the stretch. Like that, that'll that'll be a real test for Troy's defense. Uh, Apps run defense on the I other hand. I was going to say, Apps run defense is going to need to be have one of its best performances of the season. Yeah, and that's going to be a little bit of a tall task because uh, Vidal for Troy is like a back who I think has a real shot to, if not be drafted, like he'll be on an NFL roster, you know. So, yeah, that is quite the test yeah. for uh, for App there. But uh, that'll be a good ballgame to watch. It sucks that Miami Ohio didn't have their quarterback. So they had Gabbert. I really think like them and, and Toledo are pretty even, but don't care. I'll spoil it. Can't trust can't trust Jason Candle with seven and a hook. Come on. I've been told I'm wrong about Jason Candle, guys. So we'll we'll see. Um, we'll see. 
Are you? I have no idea what to make of Boise UNLV. Oh, I've been wrong on UNLV like every game this year. Like, oh, maybe finally they're good, and San Jose whips them. Um, <laughs> Rebels. Yeah, Rebels. And then we can't spoil this. Tomorrow, Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern time, more of our thoughts from the gambling angle as it will be the championship week locks, the conclusion of our season-long locks competition. Remember, bowl games, an entirely different beast altogether. Uh, So it will be the bowl nanza as we give out our best bets for those. That'll be a little bit more as we go. So this is it, the conclusion of the locks competition. It is championship Saturday. Tune in Thursday, 11 a.m. Eastern time. And you can follow him on Twitter at Tom Pennell. You can follow him at Bud Elliott 3. You can follow him at Danny Pennell. Follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. It's the UEFA Champions League on Paramount Plus. Europe's top club soccer tournament. Champions versus champions. The best teams facing off in the knockout rounds. And it all takes place. While you're filling out financial reports at work. In the middle of your day. In the middle of your week. So use that second screen. Call in sick. Do whatever you gotta do to tune in Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Nobody watches the UEFA Champions League like us. Stream every match live exclusively on Paramount Plus.